our society has been collapsing for the past several years. Many of us have been praying for the country to turn around and be saved. But have we reached the point of no return? We'll talk about that today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, my goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. I have some opening comments I'd like to make that are not appropriate for small children. Uh, I want to say that because this is a Bible study podcast, and so you'd think that a Bible study podcast would be appropriate to put on and listen to while you're driving down the road with your kids in the car or something like that. Generally, that would be correct, but I need to start off with a bit of a heavy subject matter today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask that you wait and give this a listen later if you have kids around you right now, because our kids are precious and they are worth protecting. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a minister and my heart is heavy today. By the time you listen to this, it's going to be old news, But for me, as I'm talking about it, it's still fresh. Six people, including three children, were murdered by a school shooter at a Christian school in Nashville. Their names were Catherine Kuntz, Mike Hill, Cynthia Peake, Evelyn Deakhouse, Haley Scruggs, and William McKinney. I'm not going to give the shooter's name. She's not worth talking about, except to say that she is a she. She was a female who believed the transgender lie that she could become a male. She hated God, she hated herself, and she hated Christians. And she decided to spend her last moments trying to kill as many Christians as possible. She was sent to hell by two amazing and brave police officers named Rex Engelbert and Michael Colazzo. A sincere thank you to them for ending this school shooter's life before she had a chance to kill even more as I'm sure she intended to do, because our kids are precious, and they are worth protecting. My heart and my thoughts and my prayers, they go out to the families of those victims. In fact, if if you would, just agree with me together in prayer. Let's just pray for them right now. Father God, please give them a comfort that I can't even comprehend in the midst of the pain that they must be feeling. Come alongside them in their grief. Bring healing to their broken families. I pray that they would have the peace that surpasses all understanding, help them, God, to not feel the hate that would come so naturally at a moment like this. Help all of us not to feel it as we talk about this destructive transgender ideology and how it's destroying lives all over our country right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Part of what has made this week even more awful is our news media and many of our politicians and celebrities, and and their reactions to this shooting. I mean, six Christians were killed at a Christian school in a targeted attack against Christians. And the media has spent their time since the shooting talking about comforting the transgender community. I mean, they've ran stories, they've ran news stories talking about what the shooter could have been if she hadn't been killed by those police. I mean, how disgusting is that? That rather than talking about 
the three little kids that she killed, the three lives that she ended so young, what they could have done with their lives, not to mention the three adults she murdered as well. Instead, they're running stories about the transgender shooter and how she was an outcast and how she was an artist and what her life could have been. I I mean, it's as disgusting and discouraging as anything that I've ever experienced in my life. It, It seems like our society just keeps crumbling, that we just keep reaching new lows every month, every week. Society seems to to reach a new low that we had never reached before. But and this week is no different. Uh, you know, in the wake of a school shooting, when the media and our politicians, when they seem to side with the mass murderer, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Uh, here, another example, the pop singer Madonna. If you've seen her lately, though, if you've seen what she looks like, she's starting to look like an actual demon nowadays. No joke. If you if you look at a recent picture of her. And anyway, I guess she's doing concerts or something. She announced that because of the shooting in Nashville, she is going to schedule a concert in Nashville to bring comfort to the transgender community. I mean, a transgender person commits a mass murder and now Madonna wants to come and support the transgender community. That's her response to this whole thing. This modern gender and LGBT ideology It destroys bodies, it destroys lives, it divides families, it turns people against God, it causes them to hate themselves, and and I want to say something here that I guess even a lot of Christians get uncomfortable whenever I start talking like this, but it is 100% demonic. This whole thing is entirely demonic, and I wish more Christians would, would stand up and say it. I mean, I posted that on in a couple places this week that are, you know, like Christian groups that I'm in on, on Facebook. They don't even want to hear it there. But this whole thing is entirely demon-fueled. You see these drag queens coming around, and they dress like literal demons, guys. And they demand that we celebrate them and normalize their lifestyles while they parade around looking as demonic as can be. And... Not only that, but this whole time they're doing it, they demand an audience of your children, your precious children, who are worth protecting. People act like this is just off happening in Portland or California, like it's not knocking on their door. Wrong. This is happening in schools and libraries and bars and other public venues all over the country. This is happening in all 50 states. It's not just happening in big cities. This is happening in small towns. It's everywhere. They're trying to put pornography in elementary school libraries. And they gear these events toward children. Even whenever they're held in places that, you know, children are not normally allowed. Like bars and nightclubs. (laughs) It's like normally you couldn't bring somebody in there who's under 18 or 21 or whatever. But, you know, if you have a... If you have a male dancer in a thong who's pretending to be a woman, society has said, oh, okay, well, now it's child-friendly. <laughs> now it's family-friendly. It's okay to bring your kids to it now. It, and very few local governments are willing to try to stop it. It's madness. But on this podcast, at least as far as I'm concerned, we're going to call it out for the demonic filth that it is. It is evil. It is depraved. They are pedophiles and groomers. If you know of an adult who believes this disgusting LGBT ideology, don't even let them be alone with your kids. Okay? If that's a teacher, if that's a babysitter, whatever. These people want to corrupt your children. 
They put out slogans like, you know, protect trans kids. That's what you see nowadays. They're putting this out everywhere, protect trans kids. They don't want to protect trans kids. They want to create trans kids, and they want to corrupt your kids. And we see it, and we recognize what they're doing, and we call it out. They will not get our children because our children are precious, and they are worth protecting. But perhaps what's most disgusting of all was our president's, our own president's reaction to the shooting. So President Biden spoke out about the shooting on, this was either the day or the day after it happened. He came downstairs at the White House. He came to speak to the press about about a school shooting. Okay, that's the context here of what I'm about to play for you. He's about to talk about a school shooting. That's why these people have gathered together is to hear the president. He doesn't normally come down and address the nation, but he's going to do it now because six children, or sorry, six Christians, three children, had just been killed by an LGBT shooter, okay? And so this has just happened, and he walks into the room full of press, walks into the room, I am not kidding, making jokes about ice cream. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. So that is how he walks in to talk about a shooting in which children are dead. Does he sound like he cares? I'm just asking you, did you hear that? Does, does he sound like he cares? Does he actually sound like he's in a pretty good mood? I mean, some people are going to think, oh, this is dementia, you know, because we all know he's much too old to be running a country. Some people are going to say this is another dementia moment. I want to tell you right now, this is not dementia. I'll explain what it is in a few minutes. But I have another clip, okay? I want to play another clip first. And this was him, once again, this was him as like the next day, okay? And he's asked about whether he feels that Christians were being targeted in this attack at a Christian school. And here's how he responded. I have no idea. Josh Holy believes they were. What are you saying to that? Well, I probably don't then. Probably don't. No, I'm joking. No, I have no idea. So I know it was a little bit hard to hear there, but he was asked, do you believe Christians were targeted in this attack? And his response was, I have no idea. So the reporter says to him, well, Josh Hawley says they were. Okay, so talking about the Republican senator from Missouri. And President Biden replies, well, I probably don't then. And then he laughs. And then he admits he was joking. And he's got this giant grin on his face. Okay, his joke is that if a Republican senator said it, then he's just going to say the opposite. And then he kind of laughs it off. And I just want to ask you, as you hear that for yourself, what emotions do you detect from the president as he discusses the shooting of six Christians? What emotions are you detecting from him? Because it's evident to me. I hear joy. I hear glee. I hear playfulness, giddiness. He's kidding around. He's smiling as he talks about it. And... Just the, those two clips right there, they're just almost too horrifying to me to comprehend. Because again, some people are going to say this is dementia because he has so many dementia moments. 
in his speeches and so forth. This is not dementia right here, folks. He is as alert and cognizant as I have ever seen him. He's got a spring in his step like I've never seen before. As he's as he was there in the I know you can't see them, but but you can hear it. You can hear the emotion as you listen to that right there. So I'm gonna tell you what's going on. And and listen, I will always be the first to tell you that we need to respect and pray for our leaders in the government. Okay, because the Bible says so. The Bible says to do it, so I'm gonna do it. I'm so I'm gonna tell you what's going on. I'm not trying to disrespect our president when I tell you this next part. What I'm actually trying to do is tell you what's actually going on so that you can understand the situation that we're in. So you can understand the world that you live in right now. So here's what's going on. The president is gleeful and giddy about a shooting at a Christian school because this is a man who is strongly influenced by evil spirits. He has demonic spirits attached to him. And you can hear it right there as it comes out in his emotions. Okay, you you hear it in people when sometimes in some of the side comments that they make um, when they react to certain things like like reacting to kids getting shot, reacting to children getting shot. Okay, the way that he's reacting right there, that's not how a normal person reacts to kids being shot. If you are a president and there is a school shooting, then you address the nation right with a somber tone and, and you take it seriously. It doesn't matter what you think about the perpetrator or the victims. You don't come out making jokes about ice cream. You keep a straight face. You be a leader, right? You, you take an appropriate tone. Jokes are not appropriate in a press conference about a school shooting. It doesn't matter what you think of the shooter or the victims. You respond appropriately to the dark situation. But our president... And the evil, depraved media in that room, they can't hold in their laughter and their glee as they talk about it. Here's what's going on, guys. Satan is not hiding anymore. He is right out there in the open. He is right out there where they're laughing about kids being killed. See that laughter that you hear at such an inappropriate moment? It's because those people are controlled by evil spirits. And that's the, that's the situation that we're in as a country right now. The people who control our government are themselves controlled by demonic spirits. Which, you know, if you've been paying attention, (laughs) this has been obvious to many of us for years, okay? You know, some of you are hearing this, you're like, well, this is not not new information to me. But I'm I'm saying it because we reached a new, we reached a new low, you know, that it could be one way of putting it. Or there's a new, maybe, here's a better way to say it. What we saw in the past week or so, you know, for you hearing this, it was a few weeks ago now. But what you saw in in these moments was a manifestation of the evil spirits behind these people that is much more blatant than what it has been in the past. It's become much more, it's become undeniable at this point. If you have any spiritual alertness at all, and you look at how these people are, are responding to a school shooting at a Christian school, that what what you're seeing right there are this is a physical manifestation of the of the demonic powers the spirits who are controlling these people. Am I saying that President Biden is literally demon possessed? I'm not making that claim because I know it might sound like that, but there's different levels of demonic activity in a person's life. You know, like 
you you know you could be just tempted by a demon and and we all are okay uh, everyone's tempted at times some people can even be oppressed like whenever you're under a more specific and stronger demonic attack and 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 there is demonic possession that's even possible and when that happens typically a person tends to kind of go insane and they might speak in strange voices and stuff like you know you read this in the bible i don't think that our president is at the point of being possessed okay it's possible but i doubt it and the reason is, hey, there's some people in his administration, I do think, are probably demon-possessed. Um, undoubtedly. Is the president himself literally possessed? I don't think, I don't necessarily think so. Because, well, for, here's the reason why not. Why would Satan need to possess our president? Like, our president already does about anything Satan would want. <laughs> He's already basically being a puppet for the forces of darkness. And, you know, as I'm as I'm working on this, as I'm working on this lesson today... Um, the White House press secretary was telling reporters that President Biden doesn't believe there should be any age limit on kids receiving transgender surgeries. That he believes, according to his press secretary, it is just fine to mutilate the genitals of kids at any age. Doesn't matter how young. They think if the kid wants it, or if the kid can be manipulated into agreeing to it, then the kid should get it. So I hear that, I'm like, you know, what more could Satan be getting out of this guy, even if he was possessing him? Like, well, I don't see the point. <laughs> you know, what, does Satan need him to crawl on his belly on the ground like a snake? You know, how, how does that help Satan? And if Biden did that, you probably couldn't get back up. So I'm not even saying he's literally possessed. But what I am saying is that some people, they open themselves up to so much evil they can be very much controlled and influenced and manipulated by evil spirits. And you can see the signs if you're paying attention. Okay? Somebody laughing at a school shooting, that's a pretty big red flag. And just watch. And watch and see what some of these people laugh at. Satan is not hiding anymore, guys. You know, I always thought that the end times deception, I always thought it'd be actually kind of harder to identify. Like, you know, Jesus said it could deceive almost almost even deceived the elect if it were possible. And I always read that and I'm like, whoa, like it must be really, really hard to know what's good and what's evil if it almost fools even us. And then quite frankly, as time has gone by, it seems like it's gotten easier and easier to me to see where Satan is at work. Because I look at these drag queens and these people are, are dressing like freaks. They dress downright demonic. It's because they're controlled by demons. They're, they're not trying to look like women. They're trying to look like demons. It's as obvious as could be. Demonic. Look at Madonna. Demonic. They have totally destroyed their bodies. Demonic. And look at the well-dressed old man laughing at dead kids. Demonic. So you might have thought that you tuned into an Ezekiel lesson today, and actually you did. Everything I spoke about so far, it's been leading up to what this chapter is really all about. You know, it's kind of amazing to me as we go through this book of Ezekiel, so often the things that I'm studying in the pages of the Bible, they're correlating to what I witness going on around me in America. I guess that shouldn't be so surprising because 
Ezekiel, after all, it's about the downfall of a civilization, a civilization that at one time had the word of God, at one time followed it. And that's really kind of the story of America, too. But then something happens in chapter 19 that goes a step further. It takes a step that that actually I sense America has also recently taken. In Ezekiel 19, he realizes that Israel has hit the point of no return. All this time he's been prophesying against it, trying to get people to wake up and repent, that God's judgment is coming. But the people didn't listen. And then chapter 18 happened, and that's where God had Ezekiel say to the people, that maybe you can't stop the judgment because of the wickedness of the people around you, but at least worry about yourself. Like, at least take your own salvation seriously, regardless of what the people around you are trying to do. Take personal responsibility. That was the main idea of the last chapter. And then that has brought Ezekiel to a very logical conclusion. He says, well, if I'm no longer prophesying to the nation, but now I'm just trying to reach individual people— That must mean it's too late to save Israel as a nation. So Israel is going to fall. It can no longer be saved. It has been decreed from heaven. This country is going down. They've reached a point where there's no going back. It's like the Titanic is sinking, and chapter 18 has made Ezekiel realize that the ship can't be saved. And so now he's just trying to get as many people into lifeboats as possible. And Ezekiel, you can kind of trace this because it's a very chronological book. In every chapter... It builds on the previous chapter. And that brings us to chapter 19. And it begins this way. Ezekiel 19.1 And you, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel. So first of all, it starts with and. And that's another hint that this chapter is building on the idea of the previous chapter. Second, it says to take up a lamentation. A lamentation is a way of mourning somebody or something. It could be a leader's death, such as David's lamentation over Saul and Jonathan back whenever they died. Uh, It could be a poem or a song that extols their virtues and, and their greatness, and it expresses grief over their death. So a lamentation is a way of talking to God about your pain. And it's kind of a lost art in our modern times. You know, you think about our worship songs, we just like all positivity. We, you know, we like we like happiness. And after all, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We feel kind of like we're sinning if we're not being joyful, right? But being joyful is different from being happy. We can always have joy, even in the hard times. But sometimes it's not appropriate to respond to the hard times with happiness. Actually, someone needs to forward this to our president. There are some things that shouldn't bring us happiness, but should instead cause us to lament. And it is perfectly biblical to lament in times of hardship, to express sadness and regret instead of happiness. And so we'll talk more about what it means to lament later on in the lesson. Uh, Third, it says, for the princes of Israel. So this is talking about the kings. So why does it call them the princes? Well, there's a couple ideas about this. One is that the word prince could just mean the guy in charge. And that is true. That's a legitimate reading of the text. Sometimes the Bible uses the word prince that way. But based on how Ezekiel has felt about his country's leadership over the course of this book, I think Ezekiel is not using the word king unless he thinks you're living up to it. And uh, (laughs) I throw that idea out there. It kind of messes with my theology a little bit. You know, as I said, 
I think it's really important to, to treat leadership with respect, even whenever it's really bad leadership. And we see this with Daniel. You know, he would always treat Nebuchadnezzar with so much respect, um, even though he was a very wicked king. And so it, that's not where Ezekiel is in his mind. You know, basically, if he doesn't see you as a legitimate king, he doesn't call you a king. He just calls you a prince. And that's his way of disrespecting the leadership in a, a little bit of a subtle, maybe not so subtle way. Um, if he were alive today, I imagine Ezekiel would be one of those hashtag not my president people. <laughs> you know, when an election doesn't go the way that you think it should, or if he thinks an election was stolen, people will say hashtag not my president. He might have been one of those type of people. So anyway, let's continue. The next unit goes on for about eight verses. I'm going to read three of them. I'll comment on what's going on here, and then we'll read the, the next five. So it says, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, what was your mother? A lioness. Among lions, she crouched. In the midst of young lions, she reared her cubs. She brought up one of her cubs. He became a young lion and he learned to catch prey. He devoured men. The nations heard about him. He was caught in their pit and they brought him with hooks to the land of Egypt. So he launches into a story about a mama lion and her cubs. And the symbolism is actually really clear if you look at Israel's history. Uh, the mama lion here is supposed to be Israel, um, perhaps more specifically, the southern kingdom of Israel, and probably even more specifically, the tribe of Judah, uh, because that's the tribe where all these kings came from. And the lion cub is a king of Israel who's known as Jehoahaz. This was an evil king. You can read about him in 2 Kings 23. It said he devoured men, that he was a very destructive king. 2 Kings 23.33 says, And Pharaoh Necho put him in bonds at Riblah in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and laid on the land a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. So that's a cross-reference right there. Um, just talking about what happened to Jehoahaz, and that's how we know who Ezekiel's talking about here in this part of the, the his story. And so that's the story of the first cub. The second cub in Ezekiel's lament is King Jehoiakim, and he had a similar fate. So Ezekiel 19 verses 5 through 9 say this, When she saw that she waited in vain, that her hope was lost, she took another of her cubs and made him a young lion. He prowled among the lions. He became a young lion, and he learned to catch prey. He devoured men and seized their widows. He laid waste their cities, and the land was appalled and all who were in it at the sound of his roaring. Then the nations set against him from provinces on every side. They spread their net over him. He was taken in their pit. With hooks they brought him in a cage and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him into custody that his voice should no more be heard on the mountains of Israel. So this king was another very evil king, and God did not have a hand of protection on him because he had all these evil deeds. It's, king Jehoiakim was also taken away captive, uh, this time not to Egypt, but as it said there, to Babylon. So this story begins, uh, if you want to read about it more, cross-reference here is 2 Kings 23:36, and it goes to 24-7. And we won't read it, but, but like I said, that, that's where you can chase that down if you want to. The lament claims something interesting about these lions. It says that they laid waste their cities and devoured people, commenting on the fact that these were evil and destructive kings of Israel. For them, leadership was something that they used to subjugate the populace, not to serve and protect it. So they used people instead of loving people. 
They killed their own people to advance their personal interests. These were well, uh, selfish and wicked kings, and their leadership really marked the end of the Southern Empire. And so God brought about Babylon and Egypt to carry these kings off. The way the Babylonian king and the Egyptian pharaoh are, des are described in this lamentation is kind of in a positive way. It's almost like they're the good guys, saving Israel from the evil of these kings. And we probably wouldn't think of them as heroes or saviors, but if you look at this in God's justice system, they're putting an end to Israel's own worst enemy, which was basically itself. Israel was its own worst enemy. No enemy ever could have defeated it unless Satan could convince Israel to, to defeat itself. And when that happened, God's hand of protection was lifted off of Israel and it was going to fall one way or another. Now we come to the next part of this passage where the lamentation discusses a third king, or as it's been saying, a, a prince of Israel. But now it switches its metaphor from lions to talking about a vine. So Ezekiel 19 verses 10 through 14, they say, Your mother was like a vine in a vineyard, planted by the water, fruitful and full of branches, by reason of abundant water. Its strong stems became ruler scepters. It towered aloft among the thick boughs. It was seen in its height with the mass of its branches. But the vine was plucked up in fury, cast down to the ground. The east wind dried up its fruit. They were ripped off and withered. As for its strong stem, fire consumed it. Now it is planted in the wilderness, in a dry and thirsty land. And fire has gone out from the stem of its shoots, has consumed its fruit, so that there remains in it no strong stem, no scepter for ruling. This is a lamentation and has become a lamentation. So I, I, I just read a chunk of verses there, and that actually finishes up the chapter. And I hate to just jump right into some more verses, but I just want you to notice something about what we just read and how it relates so clearly to a blessing that Jacob spoke over his son Judah at the end of the book of Genesis. And so you're going to see here, it's going to talk about lions. It's going to talk about a vine. And it's so obvious that this is really what Ezekiel is thinking about as he writes his lament in chapter 19. So Genesis 49 verses 8 through 11, it says, uh, actually we'll start at verse 9. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, and his vesture in the blood of grapes. So as I read that there, you see some of the elements repeating. You hear of the lions and the vines. And so I think this is really the basis of Ezekiel's lamentation. He's talking about what Israel, what Judah, what the kings who came from Judah, what they were meant to be, and instead what they have now become. He talks about their potential, or reflects on their potential, but then talks about the sad fate that they actually brought themselves to. And this is what a lament does. It talks about what could have been. You know, it's okay to have regret or express sadness over what could have been, the potential that was there, and how the sinful choices that man makes can take those things away. It's okay to reflect on those things. We can learn from those things. Some question whether this part of the song about the vine is about Israel specifically 
or if it's about one of its leaders. And I think it's clear if you think about what the opening of this chapter says, it's a lamentation for the princes of Israel. So this is talking about a leader. And the leader that it's talking about in the section on the vine is King Zedekiah. That was the last king of Israel before Babylon rolled in and killed everybody and, and wiped out the town. Zedekiah was a vine. He was planted in a safe environment. He had a lot of potential. But like several of Israel's kings, he squandered it. He became prideful. He became arrogant. He was plucked up and cast to the ground. If you want Zedekiah's whole story, uh, actually, you can you can go back to an episode that uh, that I did called We Don't Talk About Ezekiel. That's where I covered chapter 12 of the book of Ezekiel. And I would tell you the episode number, but Apple took the episode numbers off in their last update. I don't know if, if you listen on Apple, you might have noticed that. The episode numbers are all gone now. And so it's harder now. I can't look back at what the specific episodes were. I think it was number 41, but it, the title is We Don't Talk About Ezekiel. And that chapter goes into Ezekiel, or sorry, Zedekiah's whole horrible story of, of what a bad guy he was. But then also the terrible, terrible things that ended up happening to him. And so basically, this vine of Zedekiah, it's going to be pulled up out of the ground and cast into the wilderness. Its fire will go out. It will dry up and produce no fruit. And this refers to what happens to Zedekiah and his family. Was he killed? Well, no, he actually received something much worse than death. His family was slaughtered right before his eyes. And then he was blinded. And he was forced to live out the rest of his life as a slave. The last thing he ever saw was his family being murdered. So just reflect here on why it's very, very important that we remain loyal to God and not lose his protection over our lives. Because just like Israel, we are our own worst enemy. As long as we remain true to God, I mean, he, he, he's got our back. We're, we're indestructible. What, what can anyone do to us? But if we turn our backs on God, then he doesn't even have to lay a finger on us. He just removes his divine protection from our lives. And then now the devil can have his way with us. So a note about lamentations before we close down. As I mentioned before, this is the kind of thing that you would do at a funeral. It's a way of mourning and eulogizing the dead. It talks about what someone was and what they could have been, and it expresses sadness for their demise. It can be applied to a person. Right here, Ezekiel eulogizes his nation. And the shocking thing is, Ezekiel is doing it for a nation that hasn't fallen yet. Israel is still around. Jerusalem is still standing. It hasn't been destroyed yet. And however, Ezekiel is singing a lament over it, like he's, like he's holding a funeral service for his country. So some commentators have called this wildly overdramatic, that Ezekiel is being a bit of a drama queen, singing a lament over a nation that is still standing as if it has died. So one commentator, and this actually made me laugh, but one thing I read was one of them called Ezekiel 19, and this is a quote, called it incredibly crass. <laughs> <laughs> he said it was very rude and disrespectful. So why did Ezekiel say these things? Well, I mean, first of all, I don't think Ezekiel's ever cared if you call him rude or overdramatic. But, but also, Ezekiel has realized something. He's coming to the acceptance 
that Israel has fallen. It just hasn't fallen yet. Spiritually, it has been decreed that Jerusalem is to be destroyed. Now it's just a matter of waiting for it to happen. Does it get defeated by an enemy? Does it collapse from within? Does it break out in civil war? It doesn't matter. God has decreed that Israel is to be destroyed. It's going bye-bye. Whatever the final cause is, Jerusalem's days are numbered. It's too late now for repentance. They have reached the point of no return. Well, we'll close down in a few minutes with a recap and some personal application of this chapter. And if you have a question on this chapter, leave a comment or shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. And I'd be really happy to take questions. Um, If you have any reactions to stuff I talked about today, uh, (laughs) you might have some reactions. I got some angry reactions on social media already this week. So go ahead and send me some more if you want to. Um, You know, when I get, when someone has a really negative reaction to something that I say, I, you know, that the first thing I always do is just reflect on that. Like, okay, did I say something wrong? Did I go too far? Like, you know, I'm, I really, I, I, I don't just, I don't just immediately jump to defending myself. I, I try to uh, reflect on it first thing. And sometimes, you know, I'm like, okay, I probably shouldn't have said that. You know, I, I do feel like that sometimes. Uh, on this, I just feel like kind of a, you know, someone could say, are you going too far to say that our president is controlled by evil spirits? Well, listen, I just feel such a certainty about this in my spirit. I feel like it's just the most obvious thing from what I see with my eyes and ears. And so, you know, if that offends you to hear that, um, well, I'm not sorry, but, you know, I feel like I'm doing more damage by just shutting up about it at this point. Like I'm too, I'm too certain of what, what I can see with my own cognitive abilities. And, uh, and I feel like it's so obvious if someone has any spiritual aptitude at all, this is obvious to them. And I think Christians just need to admit it just so that we can recognize the situation that we're in. Okay. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be political. Am I saying, Oh, just all Democrats are bad and all Republicans are good. No. Um, there's a lot of junk Republicans too. So (laughs) there's, there's Republicans who are controlled by evil spirits, but, I, you know, the fact is, they're not the ones running the country right now. It's a, it's a, so anyway. Um, if you got some negative feedback, please send your hate mail to crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. So I got a couple mailbags today. One uh, is, it's an anonymous one, but they commented um, on just a, a recent episode I did. They said, I see your early cooking skills were much like mine and that you are as pedantic as I am. And that was talking about the three-step pasta, uh, <laughs> which is actually two-step pasta, but I say it's actually three-step pasta. Anyway, if you'd like to learn how to make two-step pasta and learn from some of my mistakes in the past, you can go a couple episodes back, and there's an episode called Two-Step Apostasy. And that was actually a part two of, from the previous episode, which was called Right Before the Rapture. So anyway, uh, but this person said, great message and God bless you. So I just want to say thank you to them for that mailbag. I appreciate that. And then um, speaking of the rapture, we also had a mailbag from someone named T. McGee. And so T. McGee has responded before. And I never did get around to replying last time. I'm sorry about that, T. McGee. So I was I was moving and I had a lot going on. 
and uh, any and I I meant to always go back and reply to you, and I forgot. <laughs> so I'm sorry. But T McGee has left feedback again. Thanks for sticking around this long, McGee. He does not care for rapture theology. So on the recent episode about the rapture, he said, there is no rapture. If you believe in a rapture, you do not believe our Lord. Read Matthew 13, all of it. Read John 6, verses 39 through 40, and verse 44, and verse 54, and read Revelation 18 for King James Version. What does 2 Corinthians 5... I'm still reading the comment, okay? What does 2 Corinthians 5.10 say? We all must face judgment. When is judgment? At his coming. And when is that? The last trump. Don't believe these liars. Read scripture. Peace. So, let me respond to that here, McGee. Because I know that was your issue before, was you didn't like the rapture stuff. And, and so, my reaction to what you just typed right there, I think you are conflating a bunch of things that scripture does not conflate. Okay, so the, the thing you spent the most time on, I think, was 2 Corinthians 5.10, okay? But if you read all of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it never talks about the second coming right there. It's talking about when we die. And so, the I mean, the first verse of that chapter, it says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So it's clearly talking there about our body whenever it says that. It's talking about what happens whenever we die. That when our body is destroyed, when our body dies, we still have a heavenly body to go to that will live forever. So then verse 6, it says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Again, these verses, they're saying when it says at home or away, it means if we are alive or dead, okay, in our earthly body or not. Then it says in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So it's saying there that at the moment of death, we all go to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's not talking about the second coming right there. It's talking about what happens whenever you die. But see, what the issue is, you're saying in your comment that the judgment is only at his second coming. But that's not what 2 Corinthians 5 ever says. It just talks about what happens whenever we die. So anyway, McGee, I'm sorry that you think I'm a liar. (laughs) If if I'm wrong, I'm not intentionally trying to lie to you. I, I would just be incorrect. I'd be mistaken. Um... And I don't think that you're lying. I, I think that you're just mistaken. You know, a lot of people conflate things that are actually two different things in Scripture, like like the uh, the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. Some people think those are the same. I say that they're two different things. Some people conflate the second coming of Christ and the rapture. And I think those are two different things. So that's why I'm actually doing an episode. It'll come out in a couple of weeks, and it talks about differences in the rapture and the second coming. I've actually already recorded it um, because I had help. I I did a couple episodes to tell everybody what's coming up. I have a couple episodes on the way and they feature a friend of mine uh, who's named Chet Morton. He is a Bible prophecy expert. I've attended many of his Bible studies over the past decade or so. Um, He was a conference speaker one time I went to the conference and so, and he lives nearby. So I went to several of his local Bible studies and um, anyway, He's going to join me on the show 
to for two episodes. As I said, I already recorded them. We're going to discuss rapture topics. Um, one of them is about the differences in the rapture and the second coming. That's the one that's coming in two weeks. Next week, he's going to be with me on the show to discuss the idea of multiple raptures in the Bible, because some people say the rapture is unbiblical. And I just want to demonstrate, not only is it biblical, it's it's actually in the Bible multiple times. You know, it's not just in the Bible once. There's, I, I would say it probably seven times. So at least definitely multiple times. And if you don't believe me, I invite everyone listening to listen up next week. T. McGee, I think you'll find it really eye-opening if you give it a shot. So I hope you'll listen. As we close down, I just want to recap. Ezekiel 19 is a lament. Many modern Christians don't really know how to lament, even though it's a very common thing in the Bible. There's several Psalms of lament. There's a book of lamentations. And so it's a biblical thing to do. It just means to express sadness in song or poem to God. And we tend to think that our worship songs should just be celebratory and happy sounding all the time. Now, those songs aren't bad, but perhaps we kind of get out of balance whenever we depart from the biblical model. Um, Sometimes it's appropriate to lament. And that's what Ezekiel is doing in chapter 19. And perhaps he's getting a little ahead of himself because he's lamenting over his nation and his nation hasn't died yet, but he knows it's going to. And so he expresses his sadness over that fact with a lament for Israel as he sees its end draw near. And lately, that's what I've been kind of doing in, in my heart. I'm lamenting the fact today that America has some very wicked, evil leaders, and they hate Christianity. They hate everything we stand for. And Satan knows exactly who he needed to capture to destroy America. That's why he has this iron grip on the media. I mean, the American media, guys, it hates us Christians. They were You heard it in the clip. They were giggling right along with our evil president when Christians were being shot. And they write stories about the shooter in glowing terms. They, they were writing headlines about the seven victims of the Nashville shooting. Now, there were actually only six, but the media considers the shooter herself a victim. So they write headlines about how Tennessee recently passed laws, you know, the, these laws that are against trying to medically transition children into different genders. They write stories about that as if that is what precipitated this shooting and therefore justifies what happened at that school. So why are they doing this? Well, here's why they're doing it, guys. They want to intimidate you. They want to silence you. They want to inject fear into your life. They want you to be afraid of them. They want you to stop speaking against their agenda. They just want you to just bow down and let them have their way. They want your precious kids. And that's why we need to protect them. And by the way, our enemies are not the president, not the media, not transgender people. Our enemy is the devil. Our enemy is his army of fallen angels who stand against God's plan for this world. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle with demonic powers and principalities. The president and the media and the transgender issue, those are just tools that the demons are using right now. The truth is... The devil just wants to attack you. He doesn't care who he uses. He just wants to kill Christians. He wants to intimidate and silence Christians. If he can use a transgender terrorist, he'll use them. 
If he can use Democrats, he'll use Democrats. If he can use Republicans to kill Christians, he'd use Republicans. At the moment, he's using this transgender issue. He's flaunting his control over our government and over our media. And as far as America is concerned, he might be winning there. You know, we might not be able to turn the tide in this nation. We might have reached the point of no return. I mean, that's certainly how it feels right now to me. You know, at, at the risk of sounding as dramatic as Ezekiel, lately I've just been lamenting the darkness that's spread over this country. I'm lamenting what I see as the downward spiral of America that it doesn't look like it's interested in pulling out of. Now, I'm not saying that we just give up. What I'm saying is that we should recognize the reality of the situation. These are dark days. Evil has a strong foothold in this country. I don't know how we come back from some of it. I mean, America might be in its last days. The church will go on. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we don't have a promise like that for the United States of America. So as I write and record this, it's not just in the wake of a mass shooting. It's also Resurrection Week for us Christians. I know by the time you hear it, it's already passed. But for me, this coming Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, also known as Easter to most Christians. And what does Easter teach us? That the Son of God took the judgment of God for our sins in our place on the cross. That he was placed in a tomb, and three days later, he came out. God died, but God is alive. And the tomb is empty, and it changes everything. Which means our God is not just in the judgment business or the death business. Our God is in the resurrection business. America may die, and maybe it needs to, but that doesn't mean all hope is lost. One of the little girls who was shot in that Nashville church, she had a dad who was a pastor, and this was his church on the Sunday after the shooting. That's why I said earlier, Things will happen that make us unhappy, but they can never take away our joy. The congregation that you hear singing in that clip, they have more joy, more peace, more contentment than an agent of Satan will ever have, that a transgender individual will ever have. It doesn't matter how many hormones they take, how many body parts they chop off, how many Christians they kill, what pronouns people call them, they will never have the peace and joy like that church in their life. Our God is in the resurrection business. You can kill the truth, but the truth will always come roaring back. Even if our country dies, the church will go on, and God's kingdom will continue to fight. And who knows what will be reborn in the aftermath. So, has America hit the point of no return? Well, in days like today, I, I remember the wise words of Gandalf to Frodo in the first Lord of the Rings movie. It's where Frodo's been tasked with the dangerous job of destroying the ring, and he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish all this had never happened. And Gandalf replies, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for us to decide. It is up to us to decide what to do with the time that is given to us. Perhaps you wish you could have been born years ago, in America's heyday, at a time of prosperity and world dominance, when we had no enemies to fear without or within. But God in his sovereign wisdom, had you born now, today, 
for such a time as this. That was for God to decide, and God chose you, and God chose now. And we don't know how much longer now is. It could be five minutes, it could be five years, could be 50 years. But I do think we've hit a point of no return. It really feels like the end times. You know, is it the end times just for America or for the whole world? We can't know, we, we have a limited scope. We'll have to wait and see. I'd say brace yourself, be ready for anything. In the meantime, we're here. We have a job to do. We're gonna live forever. It's Satan's days that are numbered. So let's take the fight to him and also protect ourselves, our spouses, and our kids. Because our kids are precious and they are worth protecting. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you to decide what to do with the time that is given to us.